0: They dare to call for a day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer on June 1st, to coincide with the closing of the port of Boston to implore heaven. Dunmore read aloud. He slammed his fist on the table and glared at his clerk. Ring me those burgesses this instant. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. With your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, keep in mind you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderofthe As always, our podcast comes to you courtesy of our hosts, Nigel, Liz, and Max, a trio of four-legged mammals. Well, I say, uh, that certainly narrows it down to just a few hundred million animals. Okay, well, how about a trio of warm-blooded four-legged mammals?
1: Mammals are always warm-blooded, monsieur, so you essentially eliminated all the four-legged reptiles who are not mammals anyway.
0: Ah, uh, with the possible exception of perhaps the Arctic ground squirrel, which is classified as heterothermic. I lad, uh, no more dinosaurs either. Uh, okay, okay, how about... A trio of domesticated warm-blooded four-legged mammals. Hey, we're warm-blooded and we will be housebroken too, right, Nigel? Ah, uh, well, uh, uh, generally speaking, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. They're generally speaking. Yes, it's a trio of domesticated warm-blooded four-legged mammals who are generally speaking a lot like all the time. I mean, like they never shut. Oui, monsieur. Ha 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 ha. Très bien. Eh, we get the joke. Hi, lad. Don't
1: need to beat it into the ground, then.
0: Well, I was going somewhere with that.
1: Oh, really? Will you be gone long?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, little boy. Take your time. Uh, We'll manage. I say, uh, uh, cheerio. I meant there's a reason that you all generally speak. Uh, Because the writer give us a script? We? And we learned all of our lines? And we get paid union scale. Uh, well, well, some of us do. Speak for yourself. No, no. The, the reason you all have lines is because you can all talk. Because Miss Jenny created your characters to be able to talk. I call it part of your, uh, genealogy. Get <laughs> Genealogy. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> He went a long way for that punchline, old chap. Well, I had help. Anyway, later in Jenny's corner, we will talk to our author extraordinaire, Jenny L. Cody, about the evils of smoking. But Miss Ginny's not a smoker, nor is she evil. Actually, quite the contrary. But before we head down Tobacco Road, we'll first bring you Chapter 59 of The Voice of the Revolution in the Key, and it's entitled, A Voice That is Hungry. (laughs) Ha ha! A voice that is hungry? Why? Don't say it, Max. Do not say L. It is
1: not about L. Did I say I was? You were going to say something like, Oh, this must be about L, for his voice is always hungry. Huh? Right? You would make the funny jokes like, How can you tell when L is hungry? His eyes are open.
0: I say, good one.
1: Why, he's got such an appetite, he considers an all-you-can-eat buffet as a good start. <laughs>
0: That's better than I had. Indeed.
1: He thinks that smorgasbord is the Swedish word for Tuesday. <laughs> I say.
0: <laughs> oh, they are good, lass.
1: Huh? Ah, that's what you were going to say, but I will not let you say such things about Monsieur Albert.
0: Well, my pet, that shan't be necessary. Aye, lass,
1: you did the jokes for us. But I was just... No. Oh. Monsieur, would you kindly start the chapter?
0: Uh, oui, madame. If I can just remember the title...
1: Oh, so you are a wise guy, too, eh?
0: I remember now. Mm-hmm. Chapter 59. A Voice That Is Hungry. Scotchtown, April 28,
1: 1774. A lady's adieu to her tea table. Farewell, the tea board, with its gaudy equipage of cups and saucers, cream bucket, sugar tongs, "'The pretty tea-chest also, lately stored.
0: Uh, "'Please keep to the bottom, mon ami,' Liz asked Kate, "'who was reading from the Virginia Gazette. "'It was one of the many patriotic expressions "'about the need for the colonists to stop drinking their beloved English tea.'
1: "'Aye,
0: let's see,' Kate answered as she moved her paw down the page. "'Here, then.
1: "'Because I am taught, and I believe it true,' "'its use will fasten slavish chains upon my country, "'and liberty's the goddess I would choose "'to reign triumphant in America.' "'And liberty's the goddess I would choose "'to reign triumphant in America.'
0: Liz repeated aloud, with her paw raised in the air, "'impersonating how Patrick Henry "'had read it aloud this morning.
1: "'They speak, of course, of Libertas. "'How amazing, no? Libertas, here in America.' I still cannot believe that you saw our statue in France at Chavagnac with the Marquis de Lafayette. I, with your smiling face also carved there at her feet,
0: Kate answered with her peppy grin.
1: It made me happy to see you there every day, Liz, especially when I were lonely for Max and me friends. All this time and Libertas remains,
0: pondered Liz,
1: but liberty is timeless, no? The Maker instilled the longing for freedom in the beating hearts of His creation.
0: She gazed out to the garden where Patrick sat with Sally, playing his fiddle for her. She sat there quietly, as if she didn't hear the music, but at least she was calm. Patrick's mother had taken the Henry children for a ride in the countryside to visit family, giving the weary couple a quiet day.
1: Mon Henry is torn over whether he is doing the right thing, building a daylight basement for Sally. He, more than anyone, hates to think of confining her.
0: Kate nodded sadly.
1: Aye, but putting a hedge around someone isn't just to keep them from getting out, but to keep harm from getting in. That airy basement room with the cozy fireplace and big windows looking out at the garden is the best solution you helped Patrick to see, Liz. "'Since noise and being around the children and other people upsets Sally, "'she needs a calm, quiet place, even if she'll be away from her family. "'And she'll be safe and snug with someone always watching out for her down there, "'especially us.' "'We, you are right. I know it is best for Sally,'
0: Liz replied, "'tilting her head in admiration as she studied Patrick, setting his fiddle aside.'
1: Sometimes Patrick is the only one who can reach her, but he is gone so very much.
0: Patrick leaned over and picked a white daisy from the patch he had planted there in the garden just for Sally. He handed the flower to her and tenderly cupped Sally's face in his palm as he spoke softly to her. He longed for his sweetheart to mentally and emotionally return to him, even for a moment. Liz smiled sadly Seeing Patrick's calm way with Sally. He is so gentle with her. The way he brushes her
1: hair and feeds her like a child is sad, yet so very beautiful, no?
0: Kate let go a heavy sigh.
1: But the lassie doesn't seem to want to eat when he's not around, which will be happening more and more in the days to come. I worry she'll be hungry without saying a word about it. Liz's eyes widened. A voice that is hungry. That is the next part of the fiddle's riddle. We are long overdue for the next part of the riddle to unfold, especially
0: with all that is happening with Boston and other unrest in the colonies. Her tail whipped back and forth as she saw Patrick help Sally to her feet. He put his arms around her to guide her back to the house, leaving his fiddle sitting on the bench.
1: It is time we received an update from Gilliman.
0: Once Patrick had taken Sally inside, Liz and Kate quickly ran through the hedge of aromatic boxwoods to reach the bench on the far end of the garden. Liz picked another daisy and looked around to make sure no other humans were nearby. She then softly pulled the flower stem across the strings of the fiddle. Musical notes rose into the air as they had done since Patrick Henry's childhood. Hello, Liz and Kate. I've been expecting you, ladies. Kate's eyes widened to see the magical golden notes rising with the words inside. Good day, Gilliman.
1: I never got to see this. If only Patrick knew what his fiddle could really do.
0: Liz smiled to see Kate enjoy the wonder of the magic fiddle.
1: Bonjour, Gilliman. It has been a long time, but can you please tell us about the next part of the riddle? Does it have to do with Sally not eating?
0: It does have to do with not eating, but not just for Sally. Patrick needs to get all of Virginia to not eat when he gets to Williamsburg. Kate and Liz shared confused looks.
1: What a strange idea, Gilliman. You mean, like, a fast? What's happening in Williamsburg? Uh,
0: That's right, little Kate. "'Lord Dunmore is calling the House of Burgesses back in session "'to deal with the matter of the war he set off with the Indians. "'In his zeal to pursue land out on the frontier "'and settle the boundary dispute between Virginia and Pennsylvania, "'he made things worse. "'A military force he sent to the area "'ended up killing some friendly Indian allies. "'The Indians are now on the warpath,' attacking and killing settlers. Governor Dunmore wants the Burgesses to approve funds to raise an army to send to the frontier. So after a year he has reluctantly called them back to Williamsburg. Patrick will be leaving in a couple of days. Liz wrinkled her brow. Lord Dunmore has set off a
1: war with the Indians on the frontier. I hope it will not drag on like the last war. Does fasting have something to do with this war, as when Samuel Davies called for prayer and fasting in the French and Indian War?
0: You have the exact right idea, Liz, but prayer and fasting will not be for Dunmore's war. While the Burgesses are in Williamsburg, word will arrive about London's harsh response to Boston's tea party. Patrick will need to lead the charge for how Virginia will respond. Liz's mind raced. Then I must return to Williamsburg. Kate can stay here with Sally. Kate, you will be able to reach Sally while Patrick is gone. She will respond to you. Liz, Nigel will meet you in Williamsburg to fill you in on all that has happened with Benjamin Franklin in London. Share with him what I've told you here. You and Nigel must make sure Patrick meets a man by the name of George Mason. It is time for things to unfold rapidly now in your mission with Patrick Henry. The rest of the riddle will all come to pass very soon.
1: How do you mean Sally will respond to me?
0: Kate wanted to know. Am I supposed to talk to her? Liz continued to pull the daisy stem across the fiddle, but the notes stopped rising he is gone, mon ami. She turned to Kate and smiled with a paw on the Westie's shoulder.
1: If you feel led to talk to Sally, do not be afraid to do so. I know she will be in good paws with you.
0: A shadow passed overhead. It was Cato. Uh,
1: For now, I must ask Cato to allow me to be in good wings with him.
0: Williamsburg May 19, 1774 Have you read today's Virginia Gazette? Richard Henry Lee exclaimed, holding up the paper as he met Patrick Henry outside Charlton's coffee House. England is going to close the port of Boston. What? Patrick Henry gasped, reaching for the paper as the men stepped inside and sat down. He immediately started reading the details of the rumored Boston port bill. The port will close on June 1st and remain closed until Boston pays for the destroyed tea. Only military supplies are to be shipped to Boston, along with troops to administer them, no doubt. He leaned back in his chair and frowned. Britain is going to strain the Bostonians like tea for every penny of damages, while redcoats fill the streets of Boston once more. Richard nodded and pulled out a letter he had received from London. "'My brother writes that Lord North told the House of Commons "'that he would not listen to the complaint of America "'until she was at his feet. "'Members of Parliament even joked of sending gunpowder tea "'to be taken with a smack of British spirit.' "'He slapped the letter on the table. "'The colonies are being viewed in open rebellion, "'and we should expect more coercive measures soon.' Also, it is rumored King George may replace Governor Hutchinson with General Gage. John Hancock, Samuel Adams, and two others have been ordered to be returned to England in iron fetters, Patrick further read, looking up at Richard in stunned disbelief. Closing the port of Boston, a military governor with troops in the city, threats of carrying citizens to England in irons Virginia must respond immediately to these actions against Boston. He glanced over to see George Washington at another table. Seated next to Colonel Washington were two other Burgesses, also colonels, who had served under his command in the French and Indian War. Fifty-three-year-old Andrew Lewis represented Baudetourt County in the southwestern part of Virginia. His 38-year-old brother Charles was from Augusta County, representing the northwestern part of the state. ''Can you imagine redcoats marching through Williamsburg?'' Richard asked. Patrick folded his arms over his chest and shook his head. ''The last thing we should do is give Dunmore a regular army under his control for the Indian crisis on the frontier. County militias will keep military control with American citizens, not the royal governor.'' He pointed to the three colonels. ''When troops were needed in the French and Indian War,'' "'Reverend Samuel Davies rallied the able-bodied young men "'to swell the county's militias. "'Virginia's toughest fighters "'and those most knowledgeable about Indian warfare "'are those Scots-Irish long-riflemen out on the frontier,' Richard added. "'Aye. "'The time I spent with my Uncle Langloo in the wilderness taught me that,' "'Patrick replied, remembering that experience with fondness. "'My uncle even showed up at my wedding "'with two young men he was training.' One of them, Samuel Crowley, ended up marrying Sally's friend Elizabeth. They moved out to the frontier, and Samuel has become one of Andrew Lewis's best scouts. Perhaps Dunmore doesn't realize Virginia already has the finest warriors to meet the Indian threat, Richard offered. On the contrary, I wonder if Dunmore realizes it all too well, Patrick thought a moment. When we take a stand against England's treatment of Boston... "'Dunmore will be threatened again by political opposition "'and dissolve the House of Burgesses. "'But he can't dissolve military opposition as easily. "'If England were to come down hard on Virginia "'as it has on Boston, "'the militias under the command of the Lewis brothers "'would be a formidable fighting force. "'I wonder, would Dunmore feel threatened "'by Virginia's own militia "'without British redcoats here to protect him?' "'Richard's eyes widened and he furrowed his brow. "'What are you thinking, Pat? "'I'm thinking Virginia first needs to be alerted to the threats against Boston. "'I predict we will soon need to be ready to take up arms. "'Lord North has singled out Boston to make her pay for her crimes, "'and he likely underestimates how the other colonies will respond. "'But if the British Lion can come after one colony... It can and will come after all the colonies, Patrick replied. We need action, but the conservative Burgesses will only want to send more weak petitions to London to protest the Boston Port Bill. We should call for a general congress of all the colonies to meet, Richard answered enthusiastically. I say we go beyond just banning imports. We should ban exports to Britain as well. Agreed. But the Burgesses aren't ready for such drastic action. They first need to be pushed by the popular sentiment of the people they represent. He leaned over to rest his elbows on the table. Reverend Davies did a remarkable job of alerting the people and patriotically inspiring young men to sign up to fight in the French and Indian War. But he also called on the people to pray and humble themselves before God. What if we were to call on the people to do the same for Boston, to show Virginia's support for our sister colony. Sound the alarm, oppose British tyranny, rally the people of Virginia, but appear as harmless as doves, Richard said, nodding. I like it. After all, who could object to prayer? Lord Donmore, Patrick quipped with a flash in his eyes, especially after we make the people hungry for the goddess of liberty to reign over them, not a tyrannical king or a scheming governor. Council chamber, Capitol building, Williamsburg, May twenty-third, seventeen seventy-four. Patrick Henry, Richard Henry Lee, Thomas Jefferson, and a few of the younger, more liberal burgesses were seated around the table of the council chamber, poring over law books and precedent journals by the dim candlelight. Together, they sought to come up with Virginia's resolution against the Boston Port Bill and head off another round of spineless petitions to Parliament. Thomas Jefferson had just found an old Puritan precedent they could use, and the men were busy drafting a resolution for a day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer. George Mason from Fairfax County was not a current Burgess, but had arrived in Williamsburg on business the day before. He was delighted to get word that Patrick Henry was speaking that day and sat in the balcony of the House of Burgesses, listening with undivided attention to the famed ruler of the house. Afterward, he introduced himself to Patrick, and they immediately bonded as they talked at length about the situation in Boston. Patrick was so taken with Mason's keen intellect that he invited him to attend tonight's secret meeting. Well, George Mason is here. "'Nigel whispered to Liz as they sat in the dark shadows of the hallway. "'I am not certain why Gilliman wanted us to ensure their meeting, "'but he and Patrick seem to have hit it off quite splendidly.' "'Gilliman always
1: has his reasons,' Liz answered. "'You may wish to keep tabs on Mason to
0: shed any light on their relationship.' "'Will do, my dear,' Nigel assured her, clasping his paws behind his back. It is good to see these brilliant men taking action. Al and I overheard King George declare, The die is now cast. The colonies must either submit or triumph. Oui, the die is cast. It is clear that
1: these men will not submit. But I cannot believe that more trouble is coming beyond the Boston Port Bill. Liz lamented. When Patrick learns about the other coercive acts passed by Parliament, ooh-la-la, he will be even more furious.
0: Those acts are beyond coercive. They are utterly intolerable, Nigel ranted, clucking his tongue and shaking his head as he recalled all he had learned before leaving London. The Massachusetts Government Act will take away the colony's charter. The Impartial Administration of Justice Act will send royal officials charged with capital crimes to trial in England, not in the colonies, like Captain Preston and his men after the Boston Massacre. The revised Quartering Act will allow British soldiers to take over private homes to house troops. The Quebec Act will set up permanent administration in Canada and extend Canadian borders, taking away land earmarked for the colonies. Intolerable! All of them. And once General Gage
1: takes over as a military governor and lands eight regiments of troops, Boston will suffer greatly. Liz slowly shook her head. I know Mon Henry wants immediate action, but this will take a little while. His idea of a day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer will move the people, and the people will then move the burgesses. But first... The voice that is hungry will no doubt move Lord
0: Dunmore. Council Chamber, Capitol Building, Williamsburg, May 26th, 1774. Governor Dunmore picked up the morning's Virginia Gazette and his face turned red as he saw what the House of Burgesses had passed two days earlier right under his nose. Robert Carter Nicholas, was chosen to present the resolution to the House, and it was unanimously adopted with no discussion. They dare to call for a day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer on June 1st, to coincide with the closing of the Port of Boston, to implore Heaven to avert from us the evils of civil war, to inspire us with firmness in support of our rights, and to turn the hearts of the King and Parliament to moderation and justice." Dunmore read aloud. He slammed his fist on the table and glared at his clerk, "'Bring me those Burgesses this instant!' As they had done before, Patrick Henry and the rest of the Burgesses climbed the steps of the capitol building and crowded into the council chamber upstairs to receive the wrath of Virginia's royal governor. "'Lord Dunmore scowled and held up the Gazette. "'This paper is conceived in such terms "'as reflect highly upon His Majesty "'and the Parliament of Great Britain, "'which makes it necessary for me to dissolve you, "'and you are dissolved accordingly.' "'The Burgesses quietly turned and walked down the stairs. "'Thomas Jefferson leaned over to Patrick Henry with a grin.' I know where we're going this time to continue the discussion on the Boston Port Bill. On to the Raleigh for a bite, Mr. Henry? Patrick smiled, patted Thomas on the back, and held out his hand as they stepped out the door of the Capitol onto Duke of Gloucester Street. After you, Mr. Jefferson, I'm famished. Raleigh Tavern, Williamsburg, May 26, 1774 Eighty-nine former Burgesses met and signed another agreement to halt the import of British goods, but stopped short of calling for an annual intercolonial meeting, as Patrick Henry and Richard Henry Lee wanted. George Mason joined in the extra-legal meeting of the former Burgesses as they made plans to proceed with the day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer. Flags would be lowered to half-staff, bells would toll, businesses would close, and the people would call on Almighty God to help the people of Boston. That evening, George Mason retired to his room, took out paper and quill, and proceeded to write to a friend about how the plans to protest the Boston Port Bill had been quietly made in Williamsburg by a handful of men, with Patrick Henry leading the way. He is by far the most powerful speaker I have ever heard. Every word he says not only engages, but commands the attention, and your passions are no longer your own when he addresses them. But his eloquence is the smallest part of his merit. He is, in my opinion, the first man upon this continent, as well in abilities as public virtues, and had he lived in (laughs) Rome—Mr. Henry's talents— must have put him at the head of that glorious commonwealth. I couldn't agree more, old boy, seeing how I was there to observe that glorious Roman commonwealth. Nigel beamed with pride from the shadows. Now, to see what happens as the voice that is hungry is heard throughout Virginia. I believe the first man upon this continent will no doubt get his first Continental Congress, indeed.
1: Ah, uh, such stirring words for describing mon Henry! Alas, they don't make speakers like him much any more
0: Indeed, as has been illustrated time and again, Patrick Henry was such an upright, solid Christian man, strong family man of great moral fibre, and of course an eloquent speaker. But. Well, it's something I've always struggled with a bit regarding Patrick and so many of his contemporaries, especially those Virginia fellows, is how they could put so much of their existence into cultivating that dreaded tobacco. Hi, lad, I see what you mean. Everybody knows tobacco be bad for you. We, oui.
1: so in today's Jenny's Corner, we shall ask Jenny, who is also a native Virginian, about this affinity for that awful plant. Bonjour, Miss Jenny.
2: Hey, Liz. What's on your brilliant mind today?
1: Well, someone asked us about the colony of Virginia. It seems we often hear references to Virginia and tobacco, even in this book. Uh, Could you comment on this, madame?
2: Many times you'll see references to tobacco. Didn't Patrick and George and all the Virginians, didn't they know that tobacco was bad for you? Well, no, they didn't. At the time, tobacco was one of the most profitable crops in all of North America, especially in Virginia, and that's where a lot of the Virginia Tidewater money came from, was farming tobacco, and it was a very difficult crop to do, but no, they did not realize at the time that it was bad for you at all. Now we do. Now we know that, and of course, we know that you know the pipe smoke isn't as deadly or bad for you as uh, the cigarette smoke or other things, but in hindsight, had they known that tobacco was going to be the cause of cancer and sickness and so forth, they probably would have thought about, "Mm, maybe we'll plant corn instead.
0: (laughs) Aye, lass, that's good to know,
1: Uh, but it do bring up a question then. Uh, dare I ask, uh, what's that, Max? Well... If them colonial lads had been growing corn instead of tobacco... we oui? They could have made all kinds of corn cob pipes, but wouldn't I have had nothing to put in them. Hmm. I'll bet these are the kinds of questions that keep you up at night, don't they? Well, now that you mention it... <laughs> Bless your heart. Uh, but hold that thought, mon ami, as we will get some inside scoop that may let our colonial friends uh, off the hook about tobacco for we now go to the newsroom for another edition of Nigel's News Nuggets.
0: Greetings from the newsroom. Nigel P. Monaco here with some surprising historical nuggets about tobacco. In the past 50 or 60 years, of course, plenty of research and simply hard facts about the detrimental and even deadly effects of tobacco have been well documented. But that hasn't always been the case. In fact, quite the contrary in some circles. Uh, Centuries ago, tobacco was thought to be a remedy for toothaches and earaches. Why, one was instructed to blow smoke into the ear canal. (laughs) I say, blowing smoke indeed, what? (laughs) Even in colonial times, and more recently, tobacco was used as a topical treatment for poisonous reptile and insect bites, and even as a remedy for constipation and abnormalities in various internal membranes, like uh, nasal polyps, for example. And even less than 100 years ago, tobacco was used as an antiseptic for cuts, athlete's foot, and even ringworm. (laughs) Later, it was claimed that tobacco could even remedy more neurological issues. Why, magazine advertisements of the 30s, 40s, and 50s claimed that tobacco could help calm one's nerves, improve digestion, increase energy, and curb one's appetite. Why, some even boasted that... "'More doctors smoked their brand than any other.' "'I say, why do you suppose they felt it necessary to include health-care professionals?' "'Hmm? Perhaps they were well aware of tobacco's ill effects?' "'Hmm. In short, tobacco's popularity has long been chronicled. "'But make no mistake, the harmful effects of tobacco use are far more convicting. "'So if anyone tries to influence you to use tobacco, simply decline and walk away. "'It is unhealthy... And they are simply blowing smoke. <laughs> I say, for Nigel's News Nuggets, I'm Nigel P. Monaco in the newsroom. I thank you, Mosey. Uh, somehow,
1: I don't think I'll be taking up smoking. Well, that is comforting. Indeed, I think we have spent enough time on bad habits today. Agreed, lass. I hope we all come away... With not just avoiding the bad things in this world. But focusing on the good examples that we get from such great men as Patrick Henry and George Washington. Men of courage, valor, bravery, we, but so much more.
0: Aye, they were honoring and loving to their families, to their country, and most of all, to their maker. And following those types of persons, and putting your trust
1: in the maker first, you'll one day hear him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in and let me wrap you up into me joy. Oh, that was beautiful, Max. Aye, he's a good, good God.
0: Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and the Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandiento, Mesemi Haza and ta And always remember, you are loved and you are able.